a new series today. Originally, this was just going to be a one-time sermon and something else was starting next week. And the more I prepared for this, the more I felt the Lord nudging me that we needed to expand this. I know it's a shock that a pastor would ever want to expand a message, but uh, so be it. And the title of this series is very simply, I Love My Church. Now, I was tempted to get a bunch of t-shirts and make you wear them that said that. But I thought, let's see how today goes before I try that. In our culture, we don't hear that a lot. We have impressions of all kinds of things. And advertising is part of what they do is to find out what you respond to and how you're reacting. And then they move things that direction accordingly. In the church, we don't want to do that because we want to stay on the truth and God's word and who he is and the victory that Jesus Christ has given us. But we do want to make sure that people know what we love, who we love, and why. That's why the tagline is, either come and find out why or ask me why. Now, I need your help here this morning as we start. I've got some pictures, and I, I want you to let me know. And uh, if you're one of those, you know, that uh, you're too polite to do this, that's okay. Just mumble it to yourself. But I want to know what you think of when you see this. A hospital. What comes to mind when you see a hospital or think of a hospital? It's okay. You can talk to me. Somebody say Bill. <laughs> People who are sick, great place to visit, lousy place to stay. Food tastes good when you're sick, not when you're not, I know, yeah. There are all kinds of things that come to mind with that. Grateful if you've had somebody stay there recently. How about this? What comes to mind? <laughs> Ouch. The dentist chair. Um, in fact, some of you are closing your eyes right now because you don't want to look at this picture because it brings some painful memories. How about this one? What comes to mind? Maybe the better question is, how about those who aren't here, who don't go to any church? What comes to their mind when they drive by our building? What comes to their mind when someone says something about church? You see, the church is not the building. The church is not the pastor. The church is not the name or the denomination. In fact, we're going to take a look in a moment about what the church really is, because that's what we're to love. That's what we're to show and display to others. Because the whole thing about church comes around this word that you've already sung several times this morning, and that's the word love. If you have your Bibles or your Bible on your devices, turn with me in the New Testament to the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 13. We're looking at two verses and 
Uh, we're examining two verses. We're going to look at some others in the course of this this morning. Dr. Samuel Young, one of uh, the leaders many years ago in our denomination, said, people most quickly learn what we believe by our lives. People most quickly learn what you believe by watching how you live. It matches up pretty well to this. John chapter 13, beginning of verse 34, a new commandment, this is Jesus speaking, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And we have to answer this question, who are we? We call ourselves a body of believers. Uh, individually, we call ourselves a church, and we're a part of the church, the bigger picture. We call ourselves a part of Sterling First Church of the Nazarene. But who are we? And we need to even understand what the definition of a church is. Our denomination, the Nazarene Church, defines a church as any group that meets regularly for spiritual nurture, for worship or instruction with an identified leader and is aligned with the message and mission of the church, which is the message and mission of Christ also. Any group. Now, we think of churches, we often think of locations. 411, 13th Avenue. But you see, that's only the address of this church on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, and all the other time, the address of this church is scattered throughout our area. Because you and I represent the church. So the church is literally where we are. And what we're doing advertises the church. That makes you pause sometimes to think about what is it I'm doing? How am I acting? What are my words reflecting? What does my social media reflect? A church is not just a place. So if we're a part of a church, and if we're to love the church, we need to understand it. These four elements are easily identified for a church. That a church has these, among other things. Number one, it has worship. We gather, and we call it a worship service. Now, we have in recent years, made a huge mistake, in my opinion, and that is that generally we talk about coming to church and we have worship and then we have a message. That's erroneous. The identification is the music is the worship, then we have a message. No, it's all part of worship, including giving of our tithes and offerings, including the preparation for the service. You see, when this building is being taken care of throughout the week, that's also worship. When you go to work, 
this week, that should also be worship. Now, some of you are going, you don't know where I work. I'm telling you. But you see, everything we do should be connected to our worship because we're going to get to a moment who the head of the church is. But a church is identified by their worship. They're also identified by their community. I don't mean Sterling Rock Falls. I mean our community. One of the biggest struggles for churches in this last year and a half has been the fact of the restrictions that have limited us from even getting together and then by not a large enough group or close enough. And it has really messed with the idea of community. That's just a a practical statement, not a political statement. Please don't misunderstand me. But a church should have community, one with another. There are all kinds of phrases in Scripture that have in it, at the beginning, end, or middle, one another. That's a fascinating study sometimes. Go through the New Testament and just kind of write down or circle how many times you see that phrase, one another, and what that should mean for us. A church has worship. A church should have community. Now, it's not community from the standpoint of you need to know everyone who is connected to this body of believers. Most of us have a smaller circle than that, and that's okay. But we need to have community to try to Worship solo is difficult. We can have our moments of private worship, but there is something about gathering together. Somebody said to me this morning, they hadn't been able to be here for a couple weeks and said they appreciated that they could watch it online, but said it is not the same. And see, it's not the acoustics. It's not the building. It's the community. Worship and community are something that a church has to have. Number three, a church has to have accountability. Say what? Yeah. If we're to be a church that's in fellowship, that's in community, that has true worship, there must be some accountability. Not judgment, Not legalism, but accountability even from the fact that in community we notice when someone's missing. Accountability that we notice when someone's hurting. We notice when someone needs some help of one kind or another. As well as the accountability that ought to be there instead of just how was your week, how was your week with the Lord? So how are your devotions going? When was the last time somebody asked you that? Besides the pastor. I loved many years ago reading of a missionary that wrote. They were serving in kind of a remote village. I believe it was in Africa. And um, the village was, and it's quite often out in the bush. You will see villages this way that All of the the homes, whatever they live in, are facing into, and they basically make a big circle or square. And all their front doors open out into the community together. But they also have back doors. And quite often, they would get out of their house because of how many lived in that 
little hut or house of whatever size, and they would go out to a place to pray for their private times of prayer, which meant that they had that place. And if they were praying regularly, they made a path in the grass. You know that from kids cutting through your yard. (laughs) There's that path. But what about when nobody's walking on it? The grass grows back in. This missionary talked about the accountability of that village where one would say to another, brother or sister, I notice the grass is growing on your path. You haven't been getting out there. You haven't been spending time with the Lord. We should have that kind of accountability if we are part of a church. And lastly, a church has mission. The better phrase would be a church is on mission. The mission of Christ that he has called us to. Larry McCain wrote that God has not given the church a mission. He has a mission for the church that we are to be about the mission that he has for all of us. We're just doing it here and contributing to it everywhere. The mission, to know what it is and to make sure that we are on mission. A church does not require a building. It's helpful, especially around here in January or February. But a church does not require a building or certainly not a specific structure. It doesn't require an ordained professional clergy. Seriously. But it does require Christ as the head. Because the church is Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 8. The Apostle Paul was persecuting believers and persecuting the church. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it says, Paul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison and some to death. They say, well, what does that have to do with Jesus being the church? Well, you see, in Acts chapter 9, it records when the Lord got a hold of Saul, or Paul as we would call him, and the bright light came and it blinded him and knocked him off uh, the donkey that he was riding. And then he heard this voice. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now remember, it had already been recorded, he was persecuting the church. And Paul said, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus Christ. Jesus is the church. The church isn't us, it's him. He's invited us to be a part of it. Into the fellowship, into the relationship with him as we worship, as we hold one another accountable, as we participate in community together. You see, the church should be demonstrating Christ's love. Verse 35 of John 13, by, the, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We demonstrate that love being his disciples and a simple definition of a disciple is one who follows Christ and his teachings. I've 
in recent years made sure or tried to make sure I quit using the word believer in describing someone who's a follower of Christ because Scripture even tells us even the demons believe. There are many people who believe in Jesus but don't follow him. A disciple of Christ is one who is following Christ and following his teaching. In fact, in the time of Christ, there were rabbis, and the rabbis were known by those who were following them, and those who were following them closest would literally have the dust off the rabbi's feet. They would walk so close and fight per position to get closest so that on those dirt roads and those dirt paths, as the rabbi walked in front of them, the dust would come on them. And it was somewhat how they were identified to be closest to the rabbi by how much dust they had on them. Now, as a kid, I tried that with my mom when I came in dirty and said, you know, I'm just trying to get closer to Jesus. I've got all this. It didn't, didn't, didn't work with mom. We almost wonder and have to ask the question of ourselves, if that were still our measurement today, how clean would our clothes be? Or how dusty would they be? Are we walking close enough to him that what he does gets on to us? Who he is is identified on us as well as in us. That's what the church is. That's who the church is. But the question we have to really wrestle with is what are we to do? If we are a part of the church, if we desire that or are already in it, the question is, what are we to do? This is the essence of this series right here. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Let me read them again. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Have you figured it out yet? What we are to do is to love one another. In those two verses, it's said three times. Love one another. It does not say love those who are like you. It does not say love those who agree with you. It does not say love those who treat you nice and give you pretty things. It says love one another. The one another of the church, and as we're going to see in another message, the one another outside the church. Because the church of Jesus Christ is not inward focused. It is actually outward focused. I've been tempted some Sunday to come in here during the week and turn all the chairs the opposite direction. So you're looking that way and that way. Just to remind you that we're not here for us. We're here to go out there. 
This is the refueling. This is the renewing. This is the teaching. This is the motivating. This is the worship and accountability so that we can go out there. But that's another message. <laughs> Love one another. Now, you have to understand, in our culture, the word love is one word, love. We use it for everything. If I asked you this morning what your favorite food was, some of you, in describing it, would not just tell me the name of it. You would preface it by saying, I love. Now, some of us, everything kind of goes into that next phrase, and we are demonstrative with that as well. We would even say, some of us, I love my job. I said some of us. I see some of you shaking your head. <laughs> we might speak of sports and say, I love whatever our favorite team is. We might even speak that way of a vehicle. Oh, I love. The problem is we use that one word for all of that and then say, I love my wife. I love my husband. I love my kids. I love my grandkids. And we use that same word. Do you really love hot dogs as much as? Don't, don't, if the answer is yes, don't say that out loud. Especially if you're sitting near them. Marital counseling begins tomorrow morning. We use that one word. The advantage of the original scriptures is they had more than one word for love. In fact, the advantage of many other languages is they will have multiple words for something. And in the Greek, the word that is used for love is the word agape. We, it's how we would pronounce it, agape or agapeo. The word agape means love, but it doesn't just mean love like I love my hot dog or I love the cubs. It means so much more than that. The word agape and agape love that is used in this scripture, this is an unselfish, unconditional love. Unselfish, without conditions. It's an active love, not in the least bit passive. Never casual. This is a love that prompts action. The word agape can never be followed with inaction. It is active and it prompts action. In fact, even today, isn't that how you measure love? If someone says they love something, don't you measure it by the actions taken toward what they've claimed to love? If someone says they love someone else, don't you then judge how much they love them based upon the actions toward that person? Or even toward that thing? The same is true for our love for Christ, and it should be for our love for each other. 
for one another. Denomination is putting out a series of books on learning about being the church and expanding and multiplying. The series is, I don't remember the exact title, but it's under what's called Multiply Naz for Multiply Nazarene. It's a series of books. The first book states concerning these very verses that love must dominate all that we do. Quoting here, it says, without love, all that we say is ineffective. Without love, all that we know is incomplete. Without love, all our faith is insufficient. And without love, all that we give is insignificant. Because without love, all we accomplish will be inadequate. It has to be in love. 1 Corinthians 13, quite often called the love chapter, states this. It says, all these other things may matter, but without love, they are nothing. Without love, I am nothing. We love to hear this chapter read at a wedding, but it should be for all of us because this was not describing a marriage. It was describing loving one another and loving Christ. 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And I don't know about you, but there's enough noise in our world today that does not have anything to do with love. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Our favorite part, beginning at verse 4, favorite when it's read towards someone else, that is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Or resentful. Maybe we ought to read this a little more often. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, or many translations say love never fails. In the end of that chapter, in verse 13, it says, Now faith, hope, and love abide or continue, but the greatest of these is love. Above all the other things... It has to be under love, and it has to be under this agape love. In other words, love is a big deal. And it ought to be how we are identified by others and one another. The abiding, overriding characteristic of our fellowship should be that we love Christ, one another, and our world. The question this morning is, is that how we're known? Imagine what would happen in our community if in our community 
the fellowship of Sterling First Nazarene was known as the place that loves people, as a place that acts in love, as a place that doesn't worry about whether you're a part of them or not, they'll still love you because they love Jesus that much. See, when we say, I love my church, that's what should show up. You see, verse 34 then gives us one of these little uh, explanations that we love to skip over. (laughs) For it says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Okay. But then it qualifies it this way. This is Jesus speaking, remember. You are to love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. A few weeks ago, we looked at forgiveness. And the scripture says that we are to forgive each other as Christ has forgiven us. Now they're piling on. (laughs) We are to love one another as Christ loves us. With that agape, unconditional, active, unselfish love. To love as Christ loves you means, number one, it's sacrificial. We're to love one another sacrificially, not selfishly. I had no clue growing up how much my parents sacrificed for me. Some of it was little stuff. They would have rather done this, but they did this because I wanted to. Not in a a spoiling way. Just that's what they did. I know there were times they really didn't want to be sitting in a gym on hard bleachers watching basketball game after basketball game. But they did. Why? They love basketball. Oh, my dad did. (laughs) My mom didn't. But that's not even why my dad came. He loved me. I read a story a while back of a dad who had made it his goal and had saved money. And they periodically, over a period of years, his son loved baseball. And he made it a goal to take his son to every Major League Baseball park in the United States. And someone heard about that and they said, man, you must love baseball. He said, I actually can't stand it. He said, well, then why would you do it? He said, because I love my son. But that's a mild sacrifice compared to the sacrifice Christ made for us. We're to love one another sacrificially. In other words, we are to look and ask, what's best for the body, not what do I prefer? Ouch. We're to do that in our marriages. We're to do that in our families. We're to do that in our community. If we're going to love as Christ, we have to love without conditions. Too often we love with conditions. In other words, you be nice to me, I'll be nice to you. Well, that's not love. That's just bartering. I mean, if someone asks you for help and you go, I don't know, I've already helped you three times since you helped me. 
You're keeping track. That's not love. To love without conditions, just because. If we're to love as Christ, we're to love actively, not passively. How many times do we say, I thought about doing, compared to how many times we just did? If we did as many things as we thought about doing, the world would be a different place. Our homes would be different. Our church would be different. Our community would be different. To love as Christ is to be active in that love. It is also to be generous because Christ loved us generously. He literally gave everything. That's as generous as it gets. Now consider this in closing. Our love for Christ and for each other proves who or what we are really following. Our love for Christ, our love for each other, our love for anything proves who or what we are really following. The proof is in what we do. The proof is in how we live. That's why verse 35 says, by this, how you love one another, is how you can tell that you are my disciples. It's how people are going to identify followers of Christ. So let me ask this final question. Considering how you love others, how you love Christ, considering that, what does your love prove? Does your love prove you love Christ? Or does your love for others prove not so much? Does your love, your action toward others prove how much you love Jesus and therefore his church? Or does it prove something else? The answer to that question answers this question. Do you need to make any adjustments? So that you're loving others as Christ loves you? The next few weeks, we're going to look at what does that look like in practical examples to live this out. I love my church. Am I showing that? Jesus, thank you for how much you love us. But Lord, when I consider how much you love me and I consider your call to love others the same way you love me, I have to do some examinations. That means sometimes I'm going to need to make some adjustments from what I normally do. Lord, show me where I need to adjust how I'm living to prove how I'm loving. And Lord, I pray that for others as well. But Lord, long before I try to judge that for others, keep working on me. Lord, may we become, and even more so, a body of believers who loves you so much that we love one another and others so well that everyone 
knows who we're following. May this be true, and may it start now. Amen.